Hello, everyone. Welcome to Straight Talk. And I'm one of the co-hosts, one of the hosts for this show, and along with my friend, compadre, uh, Dennis Golfin. And again, we call this program Straight Talk because, as you can see, our panel today, uh, which is our almost our permanent panel, uh, we are we are a, a a mixture of black and white, male, female, and uh, we believe that the uh, we all have been called to a gospel-centered life, and I think what helps us to present the most accurate uh, description and story of the gospel to all of you watching is that we are a community here and we are discussing these issues within community, which is our best chance by the grace of God at arriving at the truth. So we are not saying that we know it all, but we are, we are being very dialectic. We are being lovingly, we're speaking our truth and love and letting iron sharpen iron because only Jesus is the truth. And we, by his grace, coming out of a fallen world, are praying that he sanctifies our biblical worldview in our own separate lives. So, Dennis, uh, would you like to say hello to everyone today? Uh, thank you, Van. And um, we're glad to be here. Thank God for our panel who is with us. And we're looking for a great discussion today as we uh, dive into our, our topic for today. Um, ben, I'll let you um, introduce the topic and talk to our panel, let our panel, I guess, um, read everyone, too. Yes. Uh, Elaine, would you like to say hello to everyone this morning before we jump in? Sure. It's so good to be back with everyone. I apologize. I wasn't here last week. I was actually in an intensive class talking about trauma and how to deal with trauma, which is very interesting because that's what many of us are dealing with right now. So that's why I wasn't here, but I did hear, and I did watch the video from last week talking about allies and advocates. And I thought it was very interesting because as someone who needs advocates and allies and who also serves as an advocate and ally and to listen to the different perspectives that we have on this panel was really, really good. And I think one of the things that, uh, that all of us probably should keep in mind is that there is a similarity and a difference between the two, between serving as an advocate and an ally. And sometimes people need one and not the other. Sometimes they need both and some they don't need either at all. And so it's really important for us to be attuned and to listen to what it is that people are needing and what they're wanting. So that way we can step in where we're wanted and needed. And that way we're not stepping in where we're not wanted or needed. Okay. Very good. How about you, Tom? You want to say hello this morning or? It is great to be with the panel and with our viewers today. And I look forward to a great discussion. Amen. And uh, Professor Lois Alina. <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. Um, I'm not currently a professor, but uh, was. And, uh, but I, yeah. Um, emeritus, then I sound old. I don't know. There's just nothing for me right now. <laughs> We're with you. We're with you. Uh, I, I will be glad to, to just have Jesus say someday, well done, a good and faithful servant. <laughs> that's all I need. That, that's hey. all I need. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm so thankful to be here with you all. I appreciate my brothers and my sister and uh, 
already, Elaine, your good comments on, on that. And I look forward to the conversation that we'll have today. Thank you. And uh, we don't want to forget the bishops in the house. Bishop mm -hmm. Sterling Lands is with us from Texas. Thank you, Bishop. Um, I, I'm glad to be here, and it's good to see everyone, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, as we get back to the subject of ally, advocate, and then we're going to talk about uh, phase two, we're going to talk about hypocrisy. But I'm also, I'm just going to throw this out there, but uh, Elaine mentioned that she was in an intensive class on trauma. And I think that's a subject we need to address also, because I, I got some very interesting thoughts I'd like to throw out on this. So maybe next week we can get to that subject as well. <laughs> But getting back to allies, I'm just wondering, uh, since, uh, since that's what we talked about last week, and, and Lois, I really appreciate you uh, laying bare your heart and mind to us yesterday, and, and Sterling sharing wonderfully behind it as well. Uh, uh, I don't know, Tom, would you like to kick off this subject once again? <laughs> Down there in Alabama, could you kick that stuff? <laughs> allies? Well, I, yeah, I was not here last week. Yeah, yeah he was right. And, and so I'm a little bit of a disadvantage. So if somebody else will make the first move, then okay. I would appreciate that. All right. All right. We'll do that. We'll let Elaine jump off since she wasn't here last week as well. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I... I just addressed this, so let me just summarize uh, summarize what I recently said. So there is a connection between serving as an advocate and an ally, and there is also a separation or a distinguishing between the two. And all of us at some point in our lives or at several points need advocates and or allies. And so for those of us who serve in those roles in different ways, it's really important for us to um, really be able to listen to other people and see what it is that they want, what, what it is that they're needing, so that way we can step in if we feel that that's what God is wanting us to do. And, so, and that also helps with not uh, stepping in places where we shouldn't be stepping. And so I think it's really important to pay attention to whatever it is that, that God is saying and also what the people are saying, so we have a better idea of, uh, of what to do and what not to do. Yes. And Dennis, I was going to throw the ball to Sterling because he, he and Lois carried the conversation last week. They did. I wouldn't mind if my brother would uh, jump in once again right behind the lane and keep the ball rolling. Well, you know, I, I pretty much exhausted uh, my view on, on, on the whole concept of allies. And, and if I was going to put it into a, um, a thumbnail, it would be that there are positive aspects, particularly when we deal with the whole concept of uh, systemic racism and, um, and white privileges. And that's basically where my discussion was uh, focused. Um, when the, the, the positive side is that, yes, we do need to ensure that there are people who are available to us, who are indeed sincere about uh, getting into the mix and helping to bring a result that is win-win and hopefully it also means that we're able to to uh, not only win-win which is more of an equality discussion but win-win with equity 
So um, with that in mind, I, I could support that. On the other hand, there there is the just a plethora of of uh, people who call themselves allies, and they really believe they are allies. But in reality, it's really more about them than it is about the group or the person that they are claiming to be allies to. And so they spend a lot of time, uh, what I call showboating, but uh, they're looking for confirmation, they're looking for affirmation because they're doing this great and good deed. And we've seen a lot of that uh, in the um, different uh, campaigns regarding racial equity. Uh, there are some who perhaps may have been seen as, as hypocritical in their claim to be an ally, but time went on to prove that they really were sincere. Whereas there are those who have been seen to have been sincere, where time has proved that they were really more uh, hypocrites. So I think we have to keep both balls up in the air and not allow ourselves to be uh, cornered into one perspective. Hmm. Dennis, did you want to jump in on that or? Well, I just wanted to say, uh, Van, I do want to, I was going to mention, I do want to welcome all our Facebook viewers who are on with us also. And um, I'm sure we've, we've gotten a lot of comments about the, uh, the discussion last week. Uh, I even learned something about allies myself. And uh, I think that uh, as we talked about um, the people who are becoming allies to us, that, that was an interesting conversation. And I think we, we have seen the hypocrisy in it and we also seen the benefit in it. So I think there are those, and I've, I've dealt with plenty of people who are, seem to be proven to be good allies in this whole idea of, of where we are and looking at um, where we are with life. And I think as far as straight talk is concerned, what we're, what we're trying to do is just shoot straight about these issues of the day and to bring a biblical worldview to, to where we are and how this all comes together. And I think as we keep this discussion up, uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna see more of that. I think we talked about women the other, the other um, week. And then we, uh, we were talking about some other issues. We've been talking about uh, systemic racism for a while. And so we're dealing with this whole issue and I'm glad our, our panel is diverse enough that we could carry it in all angles. Uh, ben? Okay. Well, I'll tell you, since we have depleted this subject for the most part, uh, let's stir it up with another subject altogether, that being the subject of hypocrisy. And let me kick off this discussion by saying this. Uh, when we get back to um, George Floyd, his death, and then all of a sudden, this is my personal testimony, right here in Jacksonville, Florida, Black Lives Matter comes to the, the surface. And by the way, I make a difference between Black Lives Matter organization and hashtag Black Lives Matter movement. So my granddaughter, uh, you know, she's 30 years old. So she, all of a sudden she's going out of the house. I go, where are you going? She says, oh, I'm going to the march. We're going to protest with Black Lives Matter. And I said, well, I better go too, because that's my granddaughter. And I've been to marches where things, you know, didn't go right. So I got to protect my granddaughter. And my wife is saying, yeah, go with her, go with her. And so I get down there, but I got to the park. I got to the park where it began here in Jacksonville. And this was a peaceful gathering, a peaceful protest from the Black Lives Matter movement. And all of a sudden I got to the park and there were this few black people were there and the rest of the crowd was totally young people and white. 
I sat there on the ground of the park. I was amazed. Now, herein is the rub for me. The Black Lives Matter movement uh, was not birthed out of the black church. It is the first civil rights justice issue that was not birthed out of the black church. It was separate from the black church. They just took it upon themselves to do this and black churches have to find a way now to get involved, but they were moving without us. Now, my point, my question is, what about these young people? Uh, because, uh, you know, even the white church has to acknowledge that's been complicit on the subject, uh, but the blacks have too been complicit and not said anything for a long time. And then all of a sudden these young people come out, black and white, and they're in the streets and they're not waiting for the church. Now, what happened that they would decide to move out the way they did in the street as protests peacefully on issues of injustice, and they went out with the white, they went out without the white church or the black church? I'll pose that as a question to anyone that wants to speak up. Well, I'd, I'd like to say something, Van. Um, and, and this kind of ties into where, what, you know, the topic of allies still, I'd like to kind of loop around there. And Dennis, you mentioned Facebook. And so, uh, you know, I'd like to bring social media into this too, because I think this plays a part in all of these discussions. And, and in terms of what's going on, who's doing what, and who is saying what, I think, uh, and, and where they're saying it. I think that is sort of the, uh, uh, the crux of, of the issue that, that makes a lot of this very difficult. Um, you mentioned the word complicit um, when people don't say something. Mm -hmm. Elaine uh, talked about when sometimes people do say something or do offer help and it's not needed or wanted, right? And so trying to figure out, you know, if I say something, is it the wrong thing or do something is it the wrong thing or is it taken the wrong way because somebody thinks i'm just showboating to use sterling's word or uh not that sterling thought i was showboating but that word uh or or val the with the word the phrase we used last week was value signaling or virtue signaling right mm -hmm. so if you say something you, you know you've got all of these possible scenarios in response if you don't say something, mm -hmm. then that's another whole issue. Are you complicit? Are you agreeing with what's going on? Are you taking a side by not taking a side? So we've got this constant tension going on back and forth between what we're saying, what we're not saying, who we're saying it with, who we're saying it to, uh, or not saying it to, you know, like I, I've, and, and, and in terms of social media, you know, um, there, there's the, you know, I feel the need when, when my black brothers and sisters are hurting, I feel the need, you know, on social media, I feel the need to respond. I want to let them know I'm, I'm with you. I'm here. I see you. Right. I feel this with you, but I also don't want to just be you know, oh, Lois, she thinks she's, you know, she knows what's going on. She doesn't know what's going on. She's just this white person from the suburb, you know, kind of thing. Or, you know, so you have a lot of things swirling around. And I do think in the midst of all of this, Van, 
what you said is important that we need a biblical worldview somehow we need we need the balance the not balance I, I really don't like the word balance because there's a lot of unbalanced things in scripture where you you're doing something and it's not about balance at all but um we need the we need the wisdom of the spirit we need the guidance of the spirit we need you know you need to re be reminded of scriptures like a fool speaks all that is on their mind right and at the same time the the, the scriptures that say you see injustice and you don't speak out, you know, their blood be on your head kind of thing. And so it, it really takes uh, a closeness with, with the Trinity in our lives, with the love of the Father, the, the guidance of the Spirit, the, the ministry of the Son in our lives and through our lives to know what in the world we should do or say. Yeah. And when, because it might be right one time and not right another time. Mm -hmm. So there's no nice little template that that we can put on there. Like if I if there's a if there's a march in my town and I don't go, well then I'm a hypocrite because I said I was for racial justice and I didn't go. Well, see, Lois is a hypocrite kind of thing. Well, maybe maybe I wasn't supposed to go that day. Maybe I prayed and the Lord directed me to stay home or you know whatever. So I guess, I, I guess, uh, I, I hope you're hearing my heart here because it's it's important to know that it's it's not just so simple of of act or don't act, say or don't say, you know. Um, and in terms of who's at the march, white or black, if God is doing, you know, bringing justice, you know, then He can work with who who he wants to direct you know what i'm saying yes well i, I think, think there i just tom i'll let you jump right i'm just going to throw this in it too is that what i have seen from being at peaceful protests is blacks have come out without the sanctioning of the black church and the white young people have come out without the endorsement of the white church so what are we supposed to do with that how are we supposed to respond to that situation go ahead tom a lot of things happen outside of the walls of the church that because the church just that so many cases the church is an old wineskin. I'm sorry, but I just I just believe that, and okay. and I I I, um, I I I I think some of this goes back to a phrase that we've used a number of times, which is distinct but inseparable. There are so many things converging in our society. From, and especially after the George Floyd thing, but it's it's the it's the, from the professional football players to the protests in the streets to I mean just this uh, the, to the negative things we hear in the national discussion about people who in high positions who seem to be absolutely racist, and and it all comes to, it, it's being exposed and there's a groundswell that I I mean I, I hope God is in it. But this idea of distinct but inseparable, I think there's a there's a growing consciousness inside our society among many people that that we are one. I mean, it's not happening fast enough, but 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 I I don't think these things would be happening like you've described, Van, if 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 there were not that growing consciousness. Mm. I think that the idea of distinct but inseparable it it means we're we're we are really one family. 
And I think that that once it's just like in our family, you know, I can get mad at my brother, but but you better leave him alone. Mm. Mm-hmm. And and I think that in in this, I, I think we're growing in that. And I, I just I, I I think it's I keep thinking of this instance in Van and years in my life when I mean years ago I'm guessing maybe it was thirty years ago, I was something had happened in the fellowship that we were both a part of that that i felt betrayed i felt angry i felt um enraged might not be too strong <laughs> word to say <laughs> and i was driving i was at that time living in kentucky i was driving past your home and you i was talking to you about this on the phone and instead of letting me continue on my trip you said tom meet me at such and such a hotel we're going to spend the night together and you can, you know, we'll, we'll talk through this. We'll just, and, and you, you had a hotel room. You came there, stayed with me and listened to me rant and rave and helped me calm down. That had nothing to do with race, but it was, had something to do with us becoming, remaining distinct, but becoming inseparable. Mm-hmm. I believe that, that there is a groundswell, a very positive groundswell in our country that this is the time. This is the time. And, and if it's happening spontaneously, we've all, I mean, all of us on this panel, we're all leaders. We've all tried to get something started. And you realize that when you try to start something, promote an event, whatever it is, then in the beginning, you're the one turning the crank. And you know, if I stop turning this crank, this thing's going to die. But at some point, it takes on a life of its own. And it's going to happen whether I'm even here or not. And I think, I hope, I pray that there is that kind of movement beginning and growing in our country. Good, good. How about you, Elaine? You want to jump in there on a, a hip hop? Yeah, I, I do. I actually have, have a little bit to say about this. All right. Um, so in regards to your question about why people are doing this outside the church, I think there are so many things going on within the church system, especially with younger people or people who connect with younger people. And it is because the church is afraid and is very hesitant to deal with reality. Mm. Um, and so when people are not allowed to ask questions, when they're told that, you know, you, you want to talk about this issue, well, that's wrong. We don't talk about that here. Or, you know, different things along that line, what ends up happening is they find other people that they can connect with and they go do those things. They still want God. They still want Jesus. But the church, in a sense, has rejected them for a very, very long time. So they're going to go and do these things because they know that it's the right thing to do, regardless of whether or not the church follows along. And so I think what we really need to be doing is paying attention to these people who are coming to these things or who are asking these questions and walk alongside them because the church isn't doing it. And so if we want to, um, in a sense, extend Jesus or be Jesus to people, now is the time to step outside the walls of the church to join in and to be and to walk alongside and i think that would make a huge difference because i'm not sure what's going to happen with the church um, in america i wouldn't be surprised at all if it goes back to um, smaller group settings and and things along that line and i'm not just talking about COVID 19 i'm talking about um, afterwards, too, because there is this massive disconnect between the church and what's happening in everyday life. 
Dennis? I think for me, um, uh, Van, I, I was just thinking about a quote of Francis Schaeffer that I read a few days ago. He said, tell me where um, the world is now. I'll tell you where the church will be seven years from now. Mm. Uh, Lena just brought up an interesting point. Um, there may be this this disconnect, and I heard Tom when he when he talked about acceptable but distinguishable, and I think that what we got to get back to is that maybe we don't. And I think it's you, Van. I remember that quote you caught off and mentioned so much that we have to have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And I think some people just have the newspaper or they just have a Bible. And so we're battling between the times and what people assume is, is their biblical worldview. So I, I think that we're in the midst, this particular generation is in the midst of a massive change, uh, change like nothing we've seen for a while. We're in the midst of a generational change. Mm. And I think history is going to look back on this generation and see how we evolved and how we handled the beginning of something new. I don't know. I'm not a prophet. I don't know what's getting ready to come, but you can sense like the, the men of Issachar who just sense the times. And that's kind of where I'm at. I feel like I may have wisdom enough in my 72 years to have sensed some times and look at what's going on. But uh, I think that as we look at that and as we see what's going on, we have to speak the truth that we're speaking now because of the fact that as we look at it, um, there, is, there is something happening here, and it's much bigger than what we may think is going on. And we all can voice our opinions about it. People can talk about it, prophesy, but God's got his hand on something. I just remember Theodore Epps, who was a Bible radio preacher for years. He always in all his programs for about 40-some years. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Mm. Well, you know, before I let Sterling jump in there, because I want to hear my brother from another mother share on some things. But uh, I, I, you know, I used to be a high school principal. And I'll tell you, the greatest times we had in the school is that in my Bible classes, I would always save at least 30 minutes and tell the young people, bring up any subject you want. Bring up any subject you want. And then I was a prison chaplain uh, for the Federal Bureau of Prisons. And I used to get all these guys together and say, bring up any subject you want. And I think in America, the church, black and white, with young people, and in, in we've seen the black and white young people in the streets marching together against social injustice, is that the church ha does not have a forum where young people or even adults can ask questions. We're used to a tradition of just from the pulpit, I'm going to preach, I'm going to give a lecture, and you're going to sit there and take notes and be quiet and don't ask me or challenge any thought that I may have. And I think, I think the day, there is a place for the pulpit ministry, and we must not give that up, but there, we also need a, a space, a, a sacred, a safe space where, where people in the church, even that do care, can ask questions or where the church can meet the world and there's a dialogue between us where we hear them, hear them, and then we can give them an accurate description of the gospel that scratches them where they itch. I think that's important as well, too. Sterling? He's got your, he's got the- He's uh, muted. Yeah, there he goes. That's you. No, there are three people who are muted. 
Well, uh -huh. there's three people Sterling, are and Elaine are Sterling Lands. There he is. Yeah. Um, I think that this is a very um, interesting subject in that uh, it sort of catches us where we live. When I think about uh, the, the concept of hypocrisy, I guess I don't bring it, um, uh, I, I wasn't clever enough to associate it with any of the discussions about um, the movement in that I don't think from where I sit that the movement that we're looking at has been fully defined. And uh, I definitely don't, I don't agree with the Black Lives Movement uh, period. I, th uh, I think that it is, there's another agenda that has not yet been uncovered. So I'm not too quick to jump on that bandwagon. And I believe a lot of pastors uh, are in that same position. We're just waiting to see what, what's, um, you know, what's the real agenda. Um, and uh, that might even be a hypocritical on my part. Um, when, I, when I remember how Jesus dealt with this whole concept in um, Matthew 7, he says, um, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And how can you say that to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. Mm. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, now I believe that Jesus caused his believers, his listeners, to carefully examine their own lives. Are we going about accusing others of minor shortcomings or infractions when in fact we ourselves or ignoring our own behavior. Mm. And if so, uh, we are hypocrites. And once our hypocrisy is removed, then we are in a position to help others. Now, let's go back and talk about the church issue. Uh, America is the, the preeminent hypocrite on the world stage. Uh, we talk about the land of the free, the home of the brave. We talk about a nation that's built on biblical principles, and yet, yet the the people that come over from Europe initially found people here, and they were greedy enough to want to take the land. So they had perhaps a Bible in one hand and a gun in the other, and uh, so as a result, now we have a a greatly decreased population of of native Indians, and the ones that did live and their generations were put on reservations and uh, and then moved if something was found on the reservation that the Europeans wanted. And so you get the the whole trail of tears and the, and the whole bit. What's it? I just think that that is blatant hypocrisy of a country that want to wave this flag. And so more more currently, um, we've, we've had to face Jim Crow. We've had to face black codes. We've had to face women uh, suffrage where they had to basically put their lives on the line just to vote. And even when they did uh, get the voting uh, right, uh, the black women were not uh, brought into the fold and they didn't get a chance to vote until some, some decades later. Yet we're in a country that espouses uh, principles of, of equality. And, and uh, we talk about uh, the, the church in America as if America has the church 
that uh, God called. And I'm not 100% certain that that's the case. I think perhaps if it was ever here, it's become apostate. Mm. And, and uh, we have become a country of heathens, uh, of pagan worshipers, because we are really focused on things and stuff and positions. And, and we like the idea of prestige. And we like the idea of being seen as doing right as opposed to really doing right. And to me, all of that's hypocrisy. So I don't want to put a damper on the conversation, but um, I just believe that we have not even begun to, to raise the level uh, of the lid that is on this cesspool that we call our country. Yes, and, and Sterling, uh, you've not put a damper on anything. We're, we're looking directly at the subject because we want to break this spirit of hypocrisy in our own lives and within the church and this nation. And I agree with you. It begins with us, and then it goes out from there. So uh, you're right on target as far as I'm concerned, but I'm going to uh, let Elaine jump in now, if she would, and uh, share some further thoughts she may have. And I do agree. Um, okay. I do agree with, with um, Sterling and and with uh, Bishop Sterling in a lot of ways. At the uh, same I, time- By the way, uh, listen, I like Sterling. You like Sterling? Okay. Yeah, I, I will call you Sterling. <laughs> okay. So um, I agree with a lot of what Sterling said. And um, I've noticed in my field, which is um, a second temple period in biblical interpretation, a lot of times what happens is people are bringing different things with them um, to the biblical text to understand it and interpret it. And so someone who comes from a, a vantage point where they're normally looking at the champion uh, of the story or the, the champion of the text, they're going to have a completely different understanding of scripture than someone who is coming from it at it from a different perspective, um, say more of a, um, and I know that this is a broad term uh, and I'm using it on purpose, more of a uh, liberation or the oppressed. Um, type of perspective. And so what's happening is we have leaders on all different kinds of sides who connect with Christianity, who are interpreting scripture from their own lens. And rather than saying, okay, let me listen to your perspective. Let me try to understand a little bit of this. Let me sit uh, with you and the, and the character or the person in this narrative. Rather than doing that, we're just saying, I'm right. No, I'm right. No, you have to listen to me. No, you have to listen to me. And really, all we need to do is say, let me listen. Just let me listen. Let me try to understand um, from the vantage point that you're bringing. And I think if, if we did that, um, some of the hypocrisy, not all of it, but some of it would at least be addressed a little bit. But we have to humble ourselves enough to say, I don't have this all right. I don't have it all together. And there's a whole lot out there that I don't know and that I don't understand. And I want to listen and I want to learn. And I think if we did that, we'd have, um, we'd make some progress. Yes. I think the philosophers call that, Elaine, the, our plausibility structure. Our, to grow, we have to have this ability to hear from other people, even if in the end we don't necessarily agree with them on every point, but we've learned something. If iron sharpens iron, there is always in dialogue something to be learned. And I think we have to have our dialogues within the context of community. 
And if you're going to have it in community, then you have to hear, hear, hear it from so many angles. And there's something to be learned from each angle. I, I think that we cheat ourselves when we can't hear each other. And I think in even in marriage relationships, if you can't, if you can't hear each other, you're not going anywhere. And everybody wants to thump their point of view. And, and that's good that you got to get your view out there. But you also need to hear the other people's views as well. And I think you learn that like in uh, the subject of debate, even with a moderator, the way it ought to be, is to listen to the other side. I think, you know, even in politics, I think it's hypocritical as a nation when, when Republicans, let's say, do not hear the good views made by Democrats. And I think Democrats are being hypocrite when the good Democrats don't hear the good views of the Republicans because they're not listening to each other. Husbands, wives, they cannot be, they, they're, sometimes they're not listening to each other. And then Christians, black and white, we're not listening to each other. And so we just need to stop. We need to pause. And then maybe, first of all, we all need to hear from God. But this issue of hypocrisy is hanging up our young people. In our panel here, we are all, you know, we are all celebrating, except for Elaine, we're celebrating uh, the 60s. You know, we're, we're hitting on the 60s. Not yet. And, uh, <laughs> I'm starting. I'm starting, starting at you. Well, you know, the rest of us are way past that, at least the gentlemen <laughs> on the panel. But you know what concerns my heart, uh, Dennis, is that I, I am concerned, having been a high school principal, I am concerned about the direction that we are providing for young people. I mean, I don't know how many more years I have on this planet before I go to glory. But I know that I, I can see in my mind all the young people that are, that are out there that are just lost and, and looking and struggling. And, and, and I don't see the old and the young going forth together. And as Sterling says, speaking the truth about this nation, but if we don't hurry up and do something for the sake of our young, then where is our legacy? Where is our legacy where they have had good, mentors who are not perfect, but striving for perfection. You know, Van, there are a lot of young people out there that are looking back at the older generation and would use the same word lost about them and about the church. And, yeah. um, you know, uh, and, and there are a lot of them that are doing the right thing because of of the reasons that Elaine talked about, you know, that they 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 didn't have the opportunity to ask questions or to to dialogue on other things, you know, and um, you know we uh, I, I when Sterling was talking, I was thinking about the German church struggle. When I teach a course on the Holocaust, I teach this whole unit on the German church struggle. And we look back and we see how the church was, you know, wrestling with all of the issues that were going on under the Third Reich and, and the version of Christianity, the positive, it was called positive Christianity that came out. And, and you know, I was, I was picturing, you know, could you picture people on a Zoom, uh, you know, back in that moment. Can you see Bonhoeffer and, and Niemöller and, and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, different ones talking and, and, and wrestling 
about the church. Um, who's going to look back on this moment of what I think is the American church struggle in many ways? We are, we are in the throes of struggles, you know, politically, uh, health-wise, uh, economically, uh, globally, you know, the state of the earth and, and on and on and on. We are in labor pains of some kind or another and, and who knows what the outcome will be. And the things that we've been ta talking about here of, of humility and, and seeking God and trying to hear his voice in all of this, I think we, we need him so desperately in these times. Um, you know, we need to hear his voice and we, we, you know, uh, we, before we came on the recording, Sterling, you jokingly said, you know, the hypocrites are going to come on and talk about hypocrisy today. <laughs> but, you know, we all sin, right? Mm -hmm. I sin. I need the grace of God. I need so much mercy from God. Amen. You know, you you wake up and you read that the president has coronavirus, you know, you have a, you have a moment where you have, you have the opportunity to respond. You know, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? What am I thinking about that? You know, um, you know, and, and we, every day, you know, we have these opportunities to be like Christ, to imitate Christ. Mm -hmm. Sometimes Christ had to speak out against the wrong and speak out against the injustice and go in the temple and turn over the tables, right? Other times he, he kneels down and draws in the sand and, and speaks kindly to, you know, this woman caught in adultery. Mm -hmm. Notice he doesn't get the chance to speak to the man caught in adultery. He's <laughs> off somewhere else. Yeah. Right. Uh, so in, in this time of the American church struggle, um, I, I think, you know, we, we need to keep the, the, in mind these young people because they're, they're going to look back on this time and they're, they're going to be writing history about this time. What will they say? What will they say about us? And that is such a sobering thought to me. Um, you know, we need, we need the touch of God and, the, and, and Jesus more than ever, because I know in my life, I, it is, the, I only am sitting here breathing and existing and living because of the grace of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God. Amen. And I'm so, so thankful for it. Amen. So. Yes. Well, you know, back to what Sterling was saying is that, you know, my conviction is that America I don't believe America is a Christian nation, but I believe within the nation of America, there are Christians. And I think that's the fair mm -hmm. assessment of that matter. And before I turn it over to Tom, I'd like Tom to jump in again, but Tom, I never did get my reimbursement for that hotel room that I got for us. You know, I mean, <laughs> nailed the check. I mean, decades ago. I can't believe you didn't get it. Great is your reward in heaven, Van. That's right. <laughs> Well, in this um, election debate debacle this week, much of our nation, President Trump um, left many of us just aghast 
when he refused to denounce white supremacy. After the Charlottesville episode, I searched the internet for evangelical leaders' response to that. I came up with a zero. So we're aghast at President Trump. I'm pretty concerned about the white evangelical church. Mm. I guess I'm interested in what you guys think about that contrast. Mm. Well, I think the contrast is um, is something to look at because we're talking about the hypocrisy now. Uh, we we um, Jesus said this to the Pharisees, which was interesting when they talked about various aspects what were their pet peeves about the law. He says these you should have done, yeah. and not to leave the other undone. Mercy and 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 benevolence and all, and, and that seems to have been their problem. Sometimes we become so religious that we're not even spiritual. And I think that this whole hypocrisy of what we may call religious, and Elena mentioned it about the uh, viewpoint we have, our lens of looking through what we think is Christian and not Christian has been, I think, the struggle of this nation, especially with, with uh, white Christianity. Uh, they look through it through their blue eyes and all of a sudden no other, no other viewpoints are available other than their viewpoint and we must accept whatever the, they come up with. And I think that in light of that, because they have been the leaders in our Christian network in America, I guess they have a hard time seeing themselves as not the leaders. Mm -hmm. I happened to be in a, in a meeting years ago with uh, Kenneth Copeland and this was at Charismatic Bible Ministries in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he was trying to understand some things at that point. This is back in the early 80s about um, black people. And he said that um, guy cost him down in Chicago and black man held him up. He was going to rob him. And he asked the guy, please don't shoot me, sir. And the guy said, what did you say? He said, please don't shoot me, sir. And the guy was just elated that he called him sir. So from that element, he learned to call black people, sir, instead of boy. Mm. And I thought it was an interesting story because he- He, he went I, muted, Dennis. You muted, Dennis. Okay, his uh, life was at stake and he just happened to use the right analogy at the right time. Mm -hmm. uh, and, he, and he used that as his commentary of dealing with black people. Right, very good, Dennis. Well, you know, one of the things where, since uh, Tom raised the issue, uh, one of the issues that I hear a lot of uh, amongst uh, uh, Black Christians, Black pastors, is that historically, Blacks have always been willing to, or some should, I should say some Blacks are willing, to belong to predominantly white churches under white leadership. But they don't see the reverse being true, that they don't see a plethora of white folks that are willing to be a part of the black church and be under the leadership of black leaders. And that within itself is a rub between the two churches, because I agree that for this nation to get healed, we got to get it right first in the church. Yeah. We got to get it right in the church. So why are black folks willing to be under white leadership? 
And in this, in this uh, uh, event, a uh, racial atmosphere today, is that, um, you know, blacks are in white churches. Are they hearing from their white pastors about their social injustice issues sitting there? And, or are they feeling lost because I'm in a white church and I, I, I don't hear anything from the pulpit about my plight, my existential problem. And yet, uh, if we say we're equal, then if God has anointed someone like uh, Seymour <laughs> in history, uh, then why, it, why do we see pockets where multitudes of, uh, of whites are willing to be under black leadership in local churches? There, that needs to be a discussion with, uh, and I raise this issue on television and radio here, uh, that we've got to talk about these kinds of things. No, no really, I, I mean, I, I, go ahead, go ahead, Lois. You go ahead. <laughs> no, I just said crickets because you know, um, <laughs> tough one. You know, and the sad thing is, here's the sad thing: if the if the if we understood that between the black and white church, let's say, uh, there is a treasure. Uh, of, of experience and spiritual wealth that the white church is missing out on for not being in union with us. But there is a treasure that the black church generally is missing out. I believe we both bring something to the table that if we were together, we'd be better. We'd be stronger together. And we are denying ourselves the fullness of what God could do because as Tom brings out one of my favorite statements about the Trinity, uh, we fail to see the distinct but inseparable. We are distinct, but we should be inseparable. But nevertheless, uh, experientially, we are separated. We are separated right now. And that is something that's, that's going to go down in the history books, too, that, well, in our century, uh, what was true way back uh, during slavery is still true today. And we've, we've got to face those kind of issues. Can I jump in and say something are, Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, there are these wonderful examples where you have, you know, a church here and a church there, you know, of, of uh, a more diverse connection, but it's, they're, they're the, they're the uh, exception. Yeah. yeah. But they yeah. are experiencing that, that goodness and that flourishing that you're talking about. Go ahead. Sorry, Elaine, go ahead. Oh, that's okay. Um, the, the church that we go to right now is pastored by um, a black man. His wife is white. And all of our leadership is diverse as well. And so um, one of the things that um, my husband and I have been very intentional about is every place we move, because we're active duty military, so we move a lot every place we move, we try to find a church that is ethnically diverse because we want for our son to see the beauty um, of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of places in the country where that just isn't possible, but that's one of the things that I'm really grateful for is that normally around military installations, you can find churches that do have uh, have that diversity. And that does bring in a wide variety of perspectives. But the one thing that most people have in common in those churches is the uh, the military context. Yeah. But it does bring in 
and a wide variety of perspectives on other things too. And I'm very appreciative of that. And I wish we could see that more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Somebody else want to speak to that issue? I just, I just, I'm still thinking about this, this, the, the, the press holding President Trump accountable to a higher standard than it seems like a chunk of the evangelical church is willing to be accountable to. Mm. And that's, I mean, for me, that's just, it's a huge issue. It's a huge problem. I, I just am interested if you guys feel the same. I, yeah. Well, you know, I think it's true just, that, you know, from the evangelical side, we had this uh, morality poll that you, for your voting and the standards of morality, if you're gonna vote for somebody, vote your biblical position. Then all of a sudden, uh, all of that morality that was in the poll that, you know, that you vote for was, th were thrown out the window. It literally was thrown out the window. I mean, you know, uh, when Obama ran for president, uh, for instance, uh, I heard all this talk of all this morality. He's for this. He's not for that. He's not for this. He's not. And I agree. Now I've never met a politician, Democrat or Republican that I 100% agreed with any of them. And I had problems with Ob some of Obama's policies. I have no trouble admitting that. Uh, but at the same time, and so that was me being trying to be pure in the relationship that just because he's black does not mean that I agree with every one of his policies. But I think the evangelicals at this time, the white evangelicals, have, need to have the same attitude. Just because he's white and just because he holds a couple of views that I espouse to, uh, that doesn't mean that I agree with all of his policies or his conduct. And they will not come out and say that. I, I agree. Hands down. You know, the, uh, the Oxford uh, English Dictionary defines hypocrisy as the assuming of a false appearance of virtue, of goodness, with this dissimulation of real character or inclinations, especially in respect of religious life beliefs. So in general sense, uh, it's pretense, it's a sham. Uh, it defines a, a hypocrite uh, as one who falsely professes to be virtuously or religiously inclined. So it's one who pretends to have feelings or beliefs of a higher order than his real ones. So he's a, he's a dissembler, a pretender. He's uh, almost in the same boat as a thespian, except the thespians are paid to act. Um, when I, when I uh, managed uh, an engineering construction, department within a, a large uh, corporation. I remember um, encountering a, an issue where we were doing um, a chem one of the chemicals, uh, monochloric, well, I'm not gonna name the chemical, but we were, we were doing a, <laughs> no, well, I, I don't want, I don't want to- We wouldn't on. know what you're talking yeah. about anyhow. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> but, um, we were in the process of, of, of uh, building the plant and there were these, uh, these um, people who were environmentalists who were just raising all sort of cane about what we were doing. And, um, and of course we assured them that we were taking all precautions and we believed what we were saying was right. 
when we got the plant uh, completed within the overall uh, system of chemical pr uh, processes and reactions, uh, we were dumping much of it into uh, some of the tributaries off of the Mississippi River, but we were doing it from the ground, and so you had the ground water that would absorb it uh, over time. And um, when, when our environmentalists got involved in it deeper, the scientists on our side of the, of the counter, uh, they discovered that what we needed to do was to cover it with uh, some particular clay that was not as porous, and then to cover that with some, uh, some dirt that would support uh, a very beautiful lawn. And so we did that, and it was one of the most beautiful areas you would ever see. Kids would be out playing, and parents would sit out with their kids, and it was really great. And so when the press would show up, we were trained how to talk to the press and what to say and what not to say and how to answer questions and how to ignore their questions and, and speak what we had to say. But uh, within a decade uh, or so, uh, babies were being born with certain types of deformities. And, um, and it, it got really bad. And this was prim primarily a black area. Uh, uh, which should have been a, a signal to me right there, but it wasn't. Uh, and so they were tracing back, where did this all start and how come it's so many? And what they discovered is that the groundwater contamination had seeped into some of the reservoirs and the ground that they were playing on, even though it was beautifully green on the top, uh, they were coming in contact with, the mono, with, with, uh, with uh, some of the, the chemicals and uh, particularly the, the uh, parts that were to be thrown away, which nobody wanted, not even the company. So um, in our doing the lawn and putting all the beautiful green grass out, that was a type of cover-up. Now, so those of us who were building the plant and those of us who were dealing with the press, we believed that we were doing something that was good. When we discovered later that it was not good, we then took the corporate shield and only spoke what we were instructed to speak. So the question is, when were we hypocrites? Were we hypocrites in, um, in building it based on our belief system of thinking it's right? Or were we hypocrites when we uh, discovered there was a problem and then ch uh, chose to operate within the corporate shields, which were part of our job. And then to make matters even worse, when we were in our social settings, uh, friends, um, we, would, we would sort of warn our friends, don't, don't move over here, don't live over here, don't do so and so. If you got relatives over there, tell them to move because there may be some problems. So you have three different scenarios going on. And I, I concluded that uh, your belief system informs and, and actually drives your behavior. And your behavior, uh, which becomes your choices and your conduct, basically determines the consequences. So if I want to improve my behavior, I can't start with the behavior. I have to go back to the belief system. And if I'm really going to deal with the belief system, I have to go back to determine what the belief system was based upon. So somewhere in there, you, you become either a hypocrite 
or not a hypocrite, and you continue in your hypocrisy if you have learned the truth and did nothing about it. That's just a scenario of something that happened uh, years back, but, but it does point out that I think what we talk about as America and the church, uh, maybe the belief system is polluted, and, the, mm -hmm. and, and as a result, our behavior reflects that. Yeah, yeah. That's good. That is so good. That's really good. I tell you, that, that, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. How are you doing time-wise? We got a few minutes left. Actually, we got about a couple minutes left. Man, so we can continue this next week. Uh, boy, I really want to jump on what, what uh, Sterling just brought up. No, that we don't have time, but that's a tremendous dynamic, what he, where and I and I hear you, brother. I, I I hear what you're talking about, and that to me is 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 uh this oxymoron that we face, so to speak, you know. Um, and so, at what point do we become hypocrites? One of the things I deal with with theological food poisoning is the fact that um, some of us have gotten poison out there, but because we're so invested in the the product of what we've done. We don't want to change. And so, because it's going to cost us too much to retract. I, I deal with a lot of guys whose, whose doctrine had been messed up. And when I share some things to correct it, they don't want to go back and change because it's going to cost them too much. It's, it's that recall thing in manufacturing, you know? Is it profitable to recall or not? Maybe we can talk more about that. That's hypocritical. So, Van, maybe we can talk more about that next week. Yeah, we need a recall in America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And in the American church. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the program has been uh, very well today. We did, we've done very well. And I pray that um, the spirit of God will use what we all have said to cause those who are listening to us to, first of all, do introspection of their own lives and then to critique America uh, after you've done yourself, then do America, but let's do it in community. Let's do it in community with others. Let's hear from others. And let's pray that by the mercy of God, as something is happening in our nation, that the spirit of God is going to sober America and bring us to true reality that brings glory and honor to him. So I pray that this show today has been a blessing to all of you. Uh, we'll pick up next week on the issue of trauma as well as we uh, hypocrisy. We're going to deal with trauma as well. And hopefully Tom is going to send me my reimbursement for the hotel room he mentioned. And, uh, but I'll close us in prayer by speaking a blessing to our audience today. So I say to everyone, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon each one of us here in America and give us peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Go with God. <laughs> Go with God. <laughs> mm.